Church, today we're going to be continuing our sermon series entitled Stand, and, and I kind of want to touch base with you real quick and give you a recap of, of where we've been so far the last three weeks in this sermon series. Uh, the first one, dads, if you remember the fathers, husbands, man, we hit you hard that day on Father's Day. We talked about how it is so important for the men to stand up and take their place in the homes as the head of the household, as the leaders, and to be good godly men and leaders. Remember that. And then last week, we, we talked about standing out, recognizing who God has called us to be as believers in Jesus Christ and, and to be a good representation of him. And today, church, we're going to be talking about standing strong, that God has called you to stand strong. John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this to us. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Church, I have overcome the world, he said. Today, we're going to be talking about the, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And, and, and man, for anybody who's been churched, you know, I call it cradle Christian. You grew up in the church. You, you, you knew. You went to Sunday school. You, you had all those conversations about what was going on. And, and so we're talking about Daniel and the lion's den. And one of the challenges of this story is typically we always see it like through the kid version eyes. You know what I'm talking about? It's Daniel, you know, a very handsome young man, solid, strong, and he's sitting in the lion's den. You know, all the, the, the lions are around him. They kind of look like kittens. They're all smiling, and he's resting on them, using one as a pillow, right, kicking his feet up on the other one. And, and church, I want you to know that um, there's a lot more than that. There's a reality to this story. I want to tell you, grow up. Quit looking at the kid version of it. And, and see truly what is it God wants us to know as adults about this story. See, in the, in the story, the point is this. Daniel's in his 80s now. And you know what we look like, right, when we get in our 80s, man? You, you're not that, for us men, I'm not speaking to any of you ladies. You're beautiful, okay? But for, for us men, that was a good cover-up, wasn't it? But for us men, right, we're, we're no longer buff, we're no longer tall, we're getting shorter, you're not losing our hair, you're not looking solid and amazing. So he's in his 80s, and here's the thing. Daniel has been walking with God for eight decades, church. His faith was strong. And so today what I want to do is I want to bring this story into a context of how we stand up, church, in the middle of opposition and so Daniel chapter 6, if you guys want to look at this with me, in Daniel chapter 6, I'll kind of give you a little bit of the background again. See, he's now serving, Daniel's serving under a different king. When we talked last week and the week before, he was serving under Nebuchadnezzar at that time. But now, see, Daniel is serving under King Darius. See, he was the third king that he served under. So he's going through them, right? And history tells us that King Darius, he was a master, I mean, an administrative genius. He'd get people, he organized. These are people, let me shuffle it up here. Let me make it work right. Let me make it work smooth. And so that's who King Darius was. And so as soon as he started ruling the kingdom, so he started ruling the kingdom, he came in and he reorganized everything. And so what he did is he set up 120 satraps. Those are positions for some of the men to fill. It's kind of a, a cool word. Basically, it means kingdom protector. That's what a satrap is, someone who's the kingdom protector. And, and so with that, the satraps, 
he then puts three men in charge of them. What he did, he called them administrators. So the three administrators were now over there, 120 satraps. And Daniel, church, he was one of the three. He was one of the three administrators. And their job, the administrator's job, their job was this, to protect against rebellion, to levy taxes, and to guard the financial affairs of King Darius's nation. All right, pick it up in Daniel chapter 6 with me, starting in verse 1 through 3. It says this, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two other as administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. There you go. Again, church, Daniel, 80 years old, still a standout. Still a standout. And so basically with Daniel, he took all the gifts, the abilities that God gave him, and he was using them. For us, church, I want to tell you something this morning. I really want you to get this this morning, too. God don't make junk, church. He does not make junk. He is giving gifts and abilities to every single one of you, and what he wants you to do with those gifts and abilities, to use them for God's glory and honor, to stand out. You get me, church? So that's what's going on right here. Daniel, 80 years old, man, he's still a standout. They recognize his gifts. They see his abilities, man, and he is working it like he is called to. So all throughout Daniel's life, church, that's what you see with him. He's always standing out, always being recognized. He he serves church with an excellent spirit. Remember, he was conquered and brought as a slave back to Babylon, and he served where God placed him. I had a guy tell me one time, a long time ago, church, he, he would tell me this. He said, you grow where you're planted. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we know where we live, right, church? Don't anybody say about Wellsville, but I can say what I want to, right? We, we, we live in a very rough place. We do. I mean, there's poverty. There's, there's a lot of, you know, things going wrong. It's all over the nation, but we live in a rough area. And so, church, you've been planted here. God planted you here for a reason, so you grow where you're planted, you be a standout. You use the gifts and abilities that God has given you to serve and honor him right where you're at. So, (laughs) you bet. So all throughout Daniel's life, we see him standing out. He had excellent serving spirit. He always is going the extra mile, right, church? He goes that extra mile, and the king sees this, and he says, Daniel, you know what? You are head and shoulders above everybody else in my kingdom, and I want to put you in charge. You will be second only to me, is what God said. So it sounds like a great day for Daniel, right? Someone comes, your boss comes to tell you that, you're like, oh, man, I check that out. He sees me. He sees I'm working hard. I, I'm a step above everybody else, right? It builds you up. So it sounds like a great day for Daniel. Daniel got promoted, and he's still serving as God. And guess what? In that position, he can be a great witness. Church, do you realize every single one of you, I've told you this before in sermons, you have a sphere of influence. 
the people that God has planted around you as well, you actually have a sphere of influence. So whether it be 500 people, whether it be 50 people, whether it be five people, maybe it's one, you have a sphere of influence. Men, you have a sphere of influence over your household. You influence them the way that God has called you to do, and you can be a great witness wherever you're at. But see, what the reality is, what looks like a promotion on the outside for Daniel, it leads to trouble on the inside. See, the other two administrators, they get jealous. Stinks how that happens in life. Still happens today, right? That's not a biblical concept. It's still going on today. And see, they kind of they go hunger games on him. You know what I'm talking about? We're going to see who we can take out next. They want to take him out. So they falsely accuse him to get him out of the picture so that these guys are thinking that they can have his role in the king's empire. So basically, they're like, you know what? We are jealous, and we're going to take Daniel out. And in that spirit, church, that evil spirit, they go after him. But still, church, we see Daniel standing strong. But see, here's the thing. God did bless him. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 6 in the very beginning, I mean, Daniel chapter 1 in the very beginning, talks about how handsome he was. He was big boy, right? He looked good. And you know what? Daniel still stood strong, but the only way he was able to stand strong was not on his own strength. We are limited, church. We are very limited in what we can do with the strength that we have on our own physically, right? And so we are very limited. See, the reason Daniel was able to stand strong against these attacks is because he had a supernatural strength, the strength that only comes from the Holy Spirit. So how do we get this strength? It's still available, by the way. How do we get this strength? Here's how you get it, church. Listen close. If you're writing stuff down, I really want you to write this down. How do we get this strength? We get it through a long-term, developed faith relationship with the living God. Right? We want that instant stuff, don't we? We really do. But to have the kind of strength that Daniel had, it is, listen to me again, it's a long-term, developed faith relationship with the living God. So today from Daniel chapter 6, I want to show you something. I want to show you three strengths to help you, church. It's to help you stand strong because God's called you all to stand strong. The very first one is this. When God raises you up, you expect people to tear you down. Sad state of affairs. When God raises you up, church, you better believe it. They're coming after you. People will come after you. And here's the very sad part. It's when God promotes you like that, you can expect some pushback, of course, but some of you have experienced this in life. Sometimes it comes from the people that you think should be the most excited for you, but they end up being the most jealous and critical of you. It happens. It does, church. It happens. Maybe some of you have experienced in this way. You know, you get saved. I'm talking, you're really excited. You're really excited about your brand new faith in Jesus Christ. And, and you know what? You might lose some friends. Because your friends will be like, oh, so you think you're better than me now, right? You think you're better than me. You're going to act all holier, right? Snowflake, you know, whiter than snow. Yeah, God washed it all away from you, didn't he? So you can't hang with us anymore. I like the old you. Have you ever heard that, church? I like the old you better. 
Maybe, though, church, you lose some friends. Maybe some will stick around, but they're going to make fun of you. They're going to harass you about that. Maybe, church, you believe that God has spoken to you this morning. You're sitting here like, man, I feel that God's calling me out, and it's very clearly he's calling me out. And it could be something controversial to the world. Isn't it funny that we live in a world where the things of God are now controversial? Right? I mean, the things that are good, the things that are wholesome, the things that are holy and honorable, they are now controversial. And they're going to come against you, church. Maybe you're going to have to downsize to get out of debt. You know, maybe, church, you're going to have to become a stay-at-home parent because that's what you want to do. God has called you to that, and they're going to criticize you for that. Maybe you're homeschooling. Maybe you're sending your kids to a Christian school. They're going to come against you for that. Maybe it's something that is culturally unpopular, whatever it might be. God's calling you out. I want you to know they're going to come against you for that. The world will. Because you are doing what you believe that God has called you to do, and people will criticize you for it. You're raised up by God, and people tear you down. You know, in the United States, there's a term, I heard this a long time ago, it's called, it, it's called this, it's called the crab syndrome. Have you ever heard of that church? When I was 16 years old, I worked at Giant Eagle in Calcutta. Back in the day, they had on that big tank. They put crabs and lobsters in there, right? And, and, and the guy that ran the seafood department, it was a big day for me. I was 16, very mature, I guess. I, ex- I got excited. They'd bring in the new crabs, the live ones, of course, or the lobsters, and he'd dump them in there. I'm sitting there, oh, you know, I'm staring through the, I wanted to watch them. There was a little filter on the side of this big round tank to help keep them alive. And there was always that one smart one. He's like, I'm busting out of here. He would climb up onto that filter, and you could see him almost straight up and down on the glass trying to get out. And you know what the other crabs, you know what the other lobsters would do? They would latch onto him and pull him back down. Church, we live in a world that does that. We live in a world that when you try to step out to live the life that God has called you to, you're like, I'm getting out of this mess. I'm getting out of this hole. I no longer want to live like this. Man, all the other crabs, do you know what they're doing? They're grabbing onto you and pulling you down. They want to keep you there. And so we see this played out in Daniel. Check out with me, if you will, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. It says this, Then the other administrators, the high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling the government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. They're going to come at him. Here's the problem, church. I've heard it called Western Christianity. Think about this for a minute. People believe in what we call Western Christianity. It's this thought process. Man, baby Christians, they really struggle. If you're a baby Christian, make sure you're listening very closely to me. It's kind of this thing, this thought process. Like, like, hey, if I'm serving God, if I gave my life to Jesus Christ, then I shouldn't face any opposition whatsoever. 
We've made that mistake, haven't we? I mean, I'm trying really hard to do what God wants me to do, so I shouldn't have anybody coming against me. Lord, protect me. I shouldn't even face a hard time. Like, God, I gave my life to you. I'm giving you everything I have. I, you, you shouldn't let me face a hard time. Church, that simply is not true. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've ticked the devil off, okay? He had you before. You kind of, he played with you every once in a while. He had you before, but the moment you give your life to Christ, he's like, oh, no. No, I ain't, he's a sore loser. I, I'm not going to lose you, so he ramps it up on you. And too many times people confuse it like, man, my life was better before I had Jesus in my life. And they go back to their old ways. Remember what I told you in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, right? We've talked about this verse every week this month. It says, we battle not against flesh and blood. That means that neighbor you don't get along with, it's kind of, I got to love you, but I really don't, right? That's not who you're fighting. It says, but you are fighting against powers and principalities of the dark world. This coming at you, it's the spiritual church. And when we are moving forward in the kingdom, you can expect, church, you can expect resistance from the prince of darkness. You need to be expecting it. So if you are not ready to face opposition in your obedience to God, if you're not ready to face that opposition, I'm talking about, remember, he gives you everything. You get the full armor of God. The Bible tells you, you just got to put it on. You're wanting him to dress you. Some of you, you're wanting him to dress you like your mama used to. God says, you put it on. You put that full armor of God so that when the battle starts, you can stand, and then remember what it says, and stand firm. It means you ain't giving up no ground. And oftentimes, church, that prince of darkness, he works through people. He works through people, sometimes well-meaning people. And if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience with God, then you're not ready to be used by God. You know, if you're praying a prayer, Lord, I want you to use me. God, I want you to use me in a mighty way, right? God, use those gifts and talents. You gave them to me. Show me where to use them. The moment you step up and you're wanting to use those gifts to be obedient to God, there's going to be opposition. In the church, I try really hard not to worry about opposition. I get a lot of it. I do. I'll be honest with you. I get a lot of nasty texts. I get a lot of nasty messenger, you know, inboxing me on Facebook. Yeah. My dad told me a long time ago, you don't want any drama. Don't give anybody a stage to dance on. I don't even respond to them. But it's this thing, like, sometimes I freak out. You know, I have that, that knee-jerk I'm just being honest with you, man. Sometimes your preacher, he freaks out. He has that knee-jerk reaction, and I, I get all ticked off, and I'm angry. I'm like, oh, you going to say that to me? Yeah, I'll get you. But then you know what? then I remember I can't do that. Not because I'm the preacher. You can't either. 
You're not supposed to have that knee-jerk reaction, church, because we, we shouldn't worry about those. Because when I am doing something, when you are doing something for the glory of God, there will always be opposition. And you shouldn't have that knee-jerk reaction. You shouldn't go into that mode. You instantly go back to God. So let's go back to Daniel, right? So he's standing up. He's standing out, church. He's standing strong. So guess what? Their opposition Guess what the opposition wants to do against him? Some of you, you might be experiencing this right now in your life. The other two administrators, they're going like, yeah, we're going to stop him. We'll get him. He got a weakness. He's got a weakness that the king is going to like. And so here's what they do. They go to the king and they kind of butter him up. The Bible doesn't say how they butter him up. They convinced him to make a law. So they're, they're going to him and try to butter him up. Like, hey, king, man, you been lifting? You're looking buff, bro. You look good. Those shoes, oh, man, that fit looks amazing on you, buddy. You look great. So they're buttering him up, trying to build the king up, right? And then he says, you need to issue a law that over the next 30 days, nobody can pray to any god except for you. Now, he wasn't a god. We're talking little g here, okay? Not the big g, the little g. And if they pray to another god, King, you need to throw him in the lion's den. So the king, like many kings back at that time, they were very vulnerable to pride. The world today has a lot of people vulnerable to pride because they love to be treated like a god. So they were speaking his music right there like, oh, they're, they're only going to pray to me. I like that. He didn't know it was a trap. So King Darius says, it's okay. If anyone prays, to another God except for me, for the next 30 days, they will be lying lunch. And it's created a problem. It's created a problem for Daniel, for the other administrators, because they knew that Daniel was a great man of prayer. He was a mighty man of prayer. So check out with me, if you will, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 9 says, so King Darius signed the law. If they made this law today, I want you to think about yourself, self-reflection. If, if the United States of America made this law today, they made this law today, would you worry? Would you worry because you are known as a great person of prayer? Would you worry because you're known as a mighty prayer warrior? Are you kind of one of those people that's like, I keep separation of church and work, right? I don't do that there. You know, I, I, don't, I don't go out and tell people about my faith. I want no one busted in my chops about it. I, I, I keep it all separate. I go home and I pray there at home. Or do you even pray? So we hear this story, church, and we remember Daniel's 80 years old. Extremely faithful to God for 80 years old. For 80 years, I mean. Extremely faithful. God was faithful to him, right? He had no idea whether or not God would rescue him. So he had three options, in my opinion. The very first option was this. He just stopped praying. He could just stop praying. You know, he could be like, you know, I'm 80 years old. Lord, I've been so faithful to you, so you know, I, I could just take his time off. I'll take a month off, God. I'm just going to take a month off. It'll be cool with you, right? I'll pick it back up later. As soon as 30 days are over, I'll jump back in there. And Lord, I know you're going to understand because I'm much more useful to you here being alive than dead. He could have used that option. His second option could have been this. 
This is probably what I would have done. I would have faked it. You know, I, I, I would have still prayed, but then I would have been sitting there and, you know, my eyes closed. Like, Mark, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just thinking. Right? Third option. He can keep praying and praying out loud. Risking all of it, church. And that's what Daniel was willing to do. So what in the world built this amazing faith in this guy? What in the world built that amazing faith? How did he have such a deep faith in God that he was willing, church, he was willing to stand strong in the face of possible death? It leads to the second thought that will encourage you, church, to stand strong. It's this, kneeling to pray is what gives you strength to stand. Think about that. Kneeling to pray is what gives you strength to stand. Check out Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. See, church, our first response to trials should never be panic. We do that, don't we? We panic so quickly. But it should always be to pray first. You know, even our language, church, the way we speak gives us uh, gives away just how little the church at times we value that privilege. It is a privilege to pray. At times we do everything we can, right, in our strength. Crisis come, comes to your home, in your life, and you start maneuvering things, right? Oh, I'll take this, I'll do this, I'll push this over here, I'll handle that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, right? You try to do all that in your own strength, church. You are way too weak. We all are way too weak for that. And so we do all those things, and then when that doesn't work, you're like, we better pray about this. And you know what, church? We have that attitude like, I've done all I can do now, so I'm going to just pray. Church, the way it really should work is you just pray. As soon as it happens, you just pray. See, we have access, church, to the very creator. I'm talking about the sustainer of the universe. Church, you and I, we can have an audience with God. You can have an audience with God. That was taken care of when Jesus rose from the grave, right? And he is a God who cares about the very intimate needs of your life. I'm talking about he wants to take care of you. He, he is the God. We can petition the God of the universe. You can go right to him. He hears our cries. The Bible says he hears our cries for those who will humble themselves before him. When you humble yourself before him. So we can pray, we can talk to God, church, and he's listening. He's listening to you. And you know, he is such a good, good daddy. He delights, church, to move on your behalf. It brings him great joy to move on your behalf because he loves us so much. So, church, we can pray. I like how Daniel handled things here. He didn't announce, he didn't even announce that, you know what, I'm going to make a public show here. The king said, we can't do this for <laughs> Everybody, this is what I'm going to do. He didn't do that. He did exactly what he's always done. He went back home, 
He went upstairs with the door open and he prayed. Church, do you realize Jesus despised the hypocritical public prayers, the Pharisees? I'm not telling you he doesn't like you to pray in public. Make sure you listen to what I'm saying here. The Pharisees were the ones, they wanted to stand on the, on the street corner, the, the big old pointy hat, saying, everybody look at me. Look how special I am. They were praying for their own selves to get recognition. And you know what? Daniel didn't announce that stuff. Remember last week, he didn't publicly announce it. I'm not eating that food. He didn't do that. He didn't open the window. He didn't announce, I'm, going, I'm not going to listen to King Darius. He did not do any of those things. Instead, what he did, he said, I'm going to seek the God of heaven. I'm going to seek him out in this. Kind of, the, you know, that thing that God's called you to do. It was just his deep, reverent prayer, just like he always did. Business as usual, church. And I believe with all my heart that Daniel's success in life was placed, like I told you last week, on his pre-decisions. On his pre-decisions, he pre-decided not to defile his body with the food that was sacrificed for the idols. He pre-decided not that he would seek God in prayer three times a day. He's like, man, I need to start my day with God. I learned that a long time ago, church. I, I'm one of them guys, like as soon as I open my eyes, I literally can jump up and start moving. I don't need no coffee. I don't, you know, have to work into it. Like some of you guys, you, you struggle, right? Two hours into it, you're just, don't, don't talk to me yet. And, and I've been blessed that way. As soon, literally, as soon as I open my eyes, I literally can jump right out of bed and start moving. And I learned a long time ago that as soon as I open my eyes, I got to thank God for another day. I'm starting my day off right. I am going to pray. I'm going to thank God for another day. You know what, church? We shouldn't just leave it there. You know, at noon, when you're at work, I mean, you are just beat down. The world's got you just beat up. Man, why don't you pray to him again? Like, Lord, recharge me for the other half. I need it. You know, or, or you wrap up your day with God. You know what? Because he's been so good to me. I want to tell him about it. Church, because God has been so good to you, because God has been so good to me, we need to know him more. If you don't know God very well, honestly, it really and truly, it's on you. He has not moved. He does not move at all. He is steadfast. He is stable. He is right there. And if you are not close to him, it's because you're not trying to be. And I don't know about you, but I want you to get this. If you haven't pre-decided that your plans in your life are to know God intimately, chances are you're not going to get to know God. You won't know him. Think about that. If you have no plan, do you realize you are planning to fail? If you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail. And, and so, church, we need to wake and pray. We need to wake and pray. You know, you wake up. Remember, you gave your life to Christ. I'm talking all of it, man. You didn't just give him your garbage. You gave him the whole deal, the good and the bad. And so you're like, God, these are your eyes. I gave them to you. God, these are your eyes. I gave them to you. Help me see the needs that you want me to meet today. 
You know what, God? This is your mind because I gave it to you. Help me to think the thoughts that you want me to think. God, these are your hands because I gave them to you. Help me to do what you want me to do with them. And God, these are your feet because I gave them to you. You made me to do what you want me to do. And you know what, church? Asking him to speak to you, to guide you, to make decisions that are going to bring glory unto him is how every single one of us need to start it out. We all need to be there. So if you have not predetermined, if you have not a predetermined plan to grow intimate with God, chances are you're not going to. And, and notice how Daniel prayed your church. He knelt before God in prayer. The Bible says he knelt down. Because remember, how did he have the strength to stand? Because he knelt before God. In order for him to stand before men, he had to kneel before God. I don't know how many of you have ever done this. I highly recommend it. How many of you have honestly ever knelt before God in prayer? I'm talking about literally you get down on your knees. You've seen it done in the movies, right? The little kid sitting by his bed. How many of you have done that in your life? That you've knelt down before God in prayer. If you have not, honestly, you are missing out, church. You're missing out on one of the most powerful postures of humility and surrender that you can give to your God. That you kneel down before him. And when you kneel down, church, there's a sense of reverence. There's a sense of dependence. There's a sense of humility. Man, Psalm chapter 10, if you'll look at this with me, Psalm chapter 10, verse 17 says this, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts, and you will make your ear attentive. We need to be kneeling before God. Daniel predecided that he would seek God in prayer. So church, when life gives you something that knocks you down, you've got to seek God out in prayer. When life gives you more than you can stand, church, you kneel before him in prayer so that he will give you the strength to stand. Do you realize as a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point in your life, you're going to have to make a major stand. You are. There's going to be a point in your life, some of you, you're right there right now. Some of you, it's coming right around the corner. I'm talking a courageous stand. I'm talking about a stand that everyone else runs away from you and you are standing there all by yourself saying, this is what I believe and this is what I stand for. A courageous stand. Church, it could be some world issue. It could be a stand in your neighborhood. I'm talking about it could be a, a stand for your kids and your family. Maybe church making a stand. Your kid maybe doesn't know something because you're keeping them out of church. We're called the lead, right? Maybe, maybe you need to make a stand on a business deal at your work, man, that lacks integrity. And maybe, church, because in our minds, this is what goes on, right? This is what goes on. What happens? What happens if my kid doesn't get to play college soccer? How am I going to handle that? How are they going to handle that? And the reason he's not going to get to because he didn't get to play in that special league. 
that only played on Sundays. What happens, you know what? Ladies, guys, single people, you might have to make a stand saying, uh, I'm not equally yoked. This is not who I need to be with. But you sit there and think like, well, what if I can't find another boyfriend? What if I can't find another girlfriend? What happens if you get overlooked for a promotion because you wouldn't do the deal? What happens if all these things are going on in your life in church, you're not making a stand? Well, let me tell you what, Daniel probably asked God. He probably asked God, he said, you know what? What if you don't save me when the lions call me out? He's a human being, right? What if you don't save me? Church, I can't promise you that if you stand, you won't face consequences. I'll be selling you untruth up here. I can't promise you if, if you stand, you won't face consequences or somebody won't come against you, call you nasty names or unfriend you on Facebook. I can't promise that you, that you won't be left out, overlooked, hurting or feeling worse. But I promise you this. Listen, I promise you this. Third point is this, when you do what is right, you can always trust God with the results. When you are going to do what is right by God's word, if it don't line up to God's word, it's not right. When you do what is right, you can always trust God with the results. Daniel didn't know the end of the story. He was in the middle of the church. He didn't know the end of the story. All he knew was for 80 years, God has been faithful to him, so I'm going to be faithful back to you, Lord. So no matter what Daniel no matter what was going to happen to Daniel, he was going to be faithful to God. See, there was no negotiations. The Bible doesn't give us any negotiations that Daniel had with God. You know, no what if, or no ands, no buts, right? Or how come? Or you know what? This doesn't seem fair, God. Daniel didn't do that. Simply God had been faithful to him, so he was going to be faithful back to God. Daniel had that attitude, you know, if he saves me, I'm going to trust him. And if he doesn't, I will still trust him. I will still trust him. So here's what it is. King Darius finds out, you know, Daniel, this is what's going on. King Darius made the, the law because he was tricked into it. And he liked Daniel a lot. Remember, he wanted to make him second in command. And everyone was looking at Daniel with favor except for those who were jealous of him. The king was so mad because he was tricked into that decree, tricked into making that law. By two of his top three right-hand men, they deceived him, and he can't get out of it because he made the decree himself. And the law back then, you can't change it. So Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, and guess what? We don't know what happens from there. The Bible doesn't record it when he got tossed in there, what happened next. We don't know if Daniel was in there worshiping God and, and, and shouting praises to God while he's in the line. We don't know. Maybe he was over in the corner just petrified, weeping and crying. We don't know if he was barking like a dog at those cats. I don't know. But that was bad. That was a dad joke. Show my age, right? All we know is this church, by the power of God, God shut the mouths of the lions. That's what we know. Daniel chapter 19, verse 20. If you'll look at it with me again. Verse 19, it, it says this to us. Bring it up here. 
It says, very early the next morning, the king got up. He hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Do you hear what the king said? Daniel's sphere of influence right there. He was a witness. And it goes on to say in verse 21, Daniel answered, long live the king. Remember something. There's a whole sermon right there for you guys. Remember something. He was a slave taken in captivity away from his home. And he's still saying, long live the king. I serve you. Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. Doesn't matter what happens with all you people. I've been found innocent in God's sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed. In order that Daniel be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found on him, for he trusted his God. Why was this church? Because he trusted. He trusted God. When you do what is right, you trust God with the results. I'd like to ask the praise team to come up here this morning. I want you to remember a few things today, church, from the sermon. Number one, when God raises you up, people are going to tear you down. It's going to happen. And kneeling to pray, church, kneeling to pray will give you strength to stand. And if you haven't predetermined how you're going to grow in your intimacy with God, church, chances are pretty good you're not going to grow any closer to him. Some of you this morning, you're sitting here in church, and you are under massive, heavy conviction right now. Sorry, not sorry. I'm talking about God's convicting your heart. You're sitting there saying, man, I barely ever pray. But the only time I pray is when I want God to be the genie for me. I'll take you out of the box, God. I'll pray to you. You do what I'm asking. And you'll tell him, I'll serve you forever. Next day, you're not anymore. You're under conviction today because you know that you got to get some things right. Some of you right now might be sitting here, and I want to remind you of something. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. And for those of you who are trying to fight this fight on your own, I'm talking about you've left God out of the mix. You've never surrendered to him. You've never honored him. You've never went to him and humbled yourself and prayed and said, God, I need you. Lord, I want to give you my garbage. He'll take it. And like, Lord, I, I want to honor you with this life that you gave to me. Lord, I want to use all the gifts and abilities that you gave to me, but my whole life, the enemy's telling me I'm nothing but garbage and I'm junk. I got nothing to offer. God says, I'll give you that strength. I will give you that outlook. I will give you 
the equipment you need to stand. Not only stand, church, remember, stand firm. To not give up any ground. And the only way you can have all that, and also the hope for an eternal life, is through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're sitting here and you are not right with him, I'm, ser- I'm praying for you for real. I mean, you, you honestly should not go home tonight and lay down and close your eyes because we are not promised tomorrow. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many funerals I've done of people way under the age of 80 that something just horrible happened. And so if that's for you today, you feel the Holy Spirit pulling on you. I mean, you're saying, I gotta get this right. I can't do it on my own anymore. I wanna encourage you to come forward. We'll have people who will pray with you up here. You can give your life to Christ right now. You don't have to know it all. You just gotta be willing to grow. And for the rest of you believers who are sitting here today, you gave your life to Christ a long time ago, but you know what? You are so slacking in your prayer department. I mean, you are not trusting in him. You are not humbling yourself before him. You are not going to him first. Instead, you're relying for long periods of time on your own understanding. Remember what he says. Acknowledge him in all his way. He'll make your path straight. So if that's for you, maybe you need to repent some today. You can come up front too. We'll pray with you. You can come up and you don't want anyone else to pray, but you want to come up front and you want to take some time and pray with God right now. You do that. You don't have to share your business with anyone. It's between you and him. It's time to humble yourself. So how about in church? Let's stand together and let's pray. I really want to encourage you to respond today.